Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. Today, we are offering four conversations from episode 44, our look at screening T2D patients and ways that MASH differs in women versus men and among women based on menopausal status. Plus, from the vault, a conversation from 2023 about different primary care screening strategies for MASH. This week's vault conversation, season three, episode 39.1, is excerpted from an episode last August in which Ian Rowe discusses a study he and Richard Parker conducted in the leads to examine five different frontline screening strategies based on their cost and their correct patient classifications. My introduction in the episode lays out the conversation in some detail, so let's just go there. Coming out of this session, I understood why Louise had advocated to bring Roberta Forlano in her work on the podcast. You'll hear some fascinating data, a data you can use, about some of our core target populations. It's a lot of information in a fairly short episode, so just sit back, listen, learn, enjoy. When you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. In this conversation, Ian Rowe reviews the thinking and research that went into the poster he and Richard Parker created for ILC 2022. First, Ian describes the issues that led them to build the model, three of which were key. One, the high percentage of people whose liver disease is picked up for the first time when they present in the ED with decompensating disease or, relatedly, hepatic encephalopathy. Two, the fact that roughly four in ten of these patients will die during treatment for this initial round of liver disease and never leave the hospital. Three, the inefficiencies around current diagnosis diagnostic methods, whereby practitioners flag abnormal liver enzyme tests and refer patients to specialists, where it may take months to get a specialist appointment, and many have no ability to treat immediately beyond the classic diet and exercise. From there, Ian goes on to describe how he and Richard created the model and the five cohorts they evaluated in it, two of which represent current treatment practices, one of which looks at the ILFT automated assessment method for primary care promoted uh, by John Dillon in the UK. One looks at an approach Ian describes as fibrosis first, where tests are given to evaluate the presence or absence of fibrosis, not merely liver fat, and a fifth where it considers what would happen if every patient received a comprehensive all-element evaluation. As we've all heard on this podcast over the years, late diagnosis costs money and haunts patients who live with the severe downstream consequences of a disease that became more severe while physicians assured them that it was not an issue and did not need to be treated until it was late. This model provides insight into steps that might bring earlier treatment to the patients who need it at a social acceptable cost. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Ian Rowe. Before I start talking about exactly what we did, I think we just have to reflect a bit on, on what we know now and, and what the what the question was. So we know that in hospital practice that a substantial proportion of people admitted to hospital with advanced liver disease, liver failure, so decompensated with ascites or confusion due to encephalopathy, have never had a diagnosis of liver disease before they present. And so there's not been any opportunity to institute therapy or to change any behaviours, and they come decompensated. And unfortunately, we also know that a large proportion of those people, maybe as many as four out of 10, will die during that first hospital admission. And that means that then there is never any chance for them to, to recover or even to have the opportunity to think about liver transplant. So there is clearly a need to think about early diagnosis or at least earlier diagnosis. And there are lots and lots of people talking about what early diagnosis is, but as yet we don't have a good working definition of what that actually means. 
does that mean everybody who's got liver disease, whether that's from steatosis only all the way up to cirrhosis? Does it mean people who've got some degree of liver injury, whether that's steatosis and steatohepatitis with a bitter fibrosis? Or does it mean a relatively late stage advanced fibrosis or indeed cirrhosis? Because that would still be earlier than presenting with complications. But we need to decide between us what, what we think that that definition should really be. And we did, in this study, come up with a definition and we called it treatable liver disease as a sort of surrogate for early. And treatable liver disease is any liver disease that needs specific treatment. So so that is like viral hepatitis, where there is an immediate need for antiviral treatment, or it's autoimmune hepatitis, where there is need for steroid treatment, for instance, or it's patients who have advanced fibrosis, where there is a need for continued monitoring and secondary care, and the potential for therapeutics to reduce the risk of complications of advanced liver disease in the cirrhosis space. And we know that in primary care, that relatively few of the, the total number of patients who've got these treatable liver diseases are actually identified. And that is for a combination of reasons. One is that not everybody's tested, so risk factors aren't identified. That the commonest way of identifying people for further testing for liver disease is through abnormal liver blood tests. I almost said liver function tests and can see Roger rattling his swear jar at me. So abnormal um, liver blood tests. And even when there have been abnormal liver blood tests, they're often not followed up. So other ideas in this area, like the intelligent liver function testing developed by John Dillon, aims to target some of the aspects of this. So taking patients who've got abnormal tests and making sure that those are completely investigated. And there are other ways that people have also addressed the problem by doing or enforcing risk stratification as we've done in Leeds. But still, we need to have had an abnormal liver blood test and somebody needs to have acted on that to get to the point of risk stratification. So understanding that there's a problem, we thought about what other strategies one might use. So this has all been done through decision modelling. I'll tell you that there is some case validity to that in a, in a second. But we so compared five strategies. So there's the targeted strategy, which is what primary care doctors do now. See a patient, think, oh, this person might be at risk of liver disease, and we will you know, undertake testing. And we know in reality that that testing is relatively infrequent, and we follow that through through the decision analysis through a non-invasive liver screen and through to referral to secondary care. We then looked at targeted testing, so that's current testing with enforced risk stratification, and that follows what was done in the Camden and Islington work from William Rosenberg, and their patients have a non-invasive liver screen, but they also have a FIB4 and if that's not low, so not less than 1.3, then they go on and have a fibro scan. And we use fibro scan as the second line fibrosis test in the analysis that we've done here. But it could also be used for ELF and other tests if needed. And those patients in that arm who had a positive, either had a positive liver screen suggesting a treatable liver disease or positive fibrosis testing were then referred into secondary care. Using um, the intelligent LFT algorithm, we followed exactly what they do in their protocol. So that is all patients who have an abnormal test and they're followed up and they have a diagnosis made as per ILFT and then they're referred depending on what the ILFT algorithm says. There's then an, an approach where you do every, all tests for everybody. So recognising that some patients have normal liver blood tests but still have significant liver disease, those patients could have fibrosis testing in primary care with FIB4 and then transient elastography if the FIB4 is not low. And if you do that, then you're testing everybody for everything. So it's a fully comprehensive approach. But we know in reality that not everybody's got liver disease. 
that the vast majority of people don't have abnormal findings on a non-invasive liver screen because the commonest diseases, NAFLD and alcohol-related liver disease, make up over 95% of patients who are investigated. So it's not rational to do every test in everybody because you know really that they don't need it. So the final strategy is called fibrosis first, and that is one where we test for common liver diseases. So we do viral serology, do iron studies, and then they do fibrosis testing for everybody. So it's really fibrosis and common diseases, but fibrosis first. Test everybody. You make a diagnosis of liver disease if there's an abnormality of treatable liver disease, and you refer patients on who've got a positive screen or positive fibrosis tests. And in the analysis, we looked at two different aspects of the way these things might work. We looked at cost effectiveness, where the cost effectiveness was defined as the cost per correct diagnosis of treatable liver disease. And we also looked at something called decision curve analysis. So this is where true positive outcomes are compared against false positive outcomes. So if you make lots of false positive calls, then you're generating work and potentially causing harm. Whereas if you make very few true positive calls, then you're denying patients access to care. So there needs to be a balance between the two. And decision curve analysis allows you to do that. So overall, what we found was fibrosis first was the most clinically effective strategy. And it was also the most cost-effective strategy. And if I say to you that in the 10,000 patients that we modeled, in the targeted, so that's what we do currently, out of about 450 cases of liver disease, treatable liver disease, the targeted strategy, what we're doing today finds 64 of those. So it's a really small fraction. And that fits with what we see in clinical practice because we continue to see these patients coming to hospital with advanced disease having never previously been diagnosed. If you do risk stratification on top, then you increase the number of people who you find with treatable liver disease because of the fibrosis screening, particularly among people who've got normal LFTs. That means that you find more cases and it's um, cheaper. And that fits very nicely with the finding of the Camden and Islington work, providing face validity to the results. If you go to the comprehensive strategy where you do everything for everybody, you find the most patients. So out of the 450 or so patients with true liver disease, you find 410 of those. So the vast majority don't find it all because the tests that we use aren't 100% sensitive, but you find the vast majority of them. But it's very expensive because you're doing lots and lots of tests on everybody. It costs nearly, for the 10,000 people, it costs nearly a million pounds more to do all of that testing. In ILFT, it costs nearly as much. And that's because the liver screening is very expensive. Patients have to come back for results. Sometimes, in the depending on which part of the algorithm you're phoning, there's a decision point in the center of ILFT requiring clinician engagement, requesting ultrasound scans. And so the cost remains quite high for ILFT. It does find a lot of the patients with treatable liver disease, so 360 as against 450 in total, but it is costly. With fibrosis first, however, you find nearly all of those patients who've got treatable liver disease because the reality is that treatable liver disease is mostly advanced fibrosis and it's cheaper. It's not as cheap as the targeted strategy or targeted with risk stratification. There is an excess cost because you're doing more fibrosis testing, but in comparison to the non-invasive liver screens, it's certainly a lot cheaper. So that comes out as the most cost-effective strategy and the most clinically effective. The other thing that's important that comes out is because you're only really diagnosing treatable liver disease, you don't make lots and lots of diagnoses of other things. You don't make lots of diagnosis of NAFLD without fibrosis. You don't make diagnosis of fatty liver due, due to alcohol where there is no fibrosis or where the risk of future liver events is relatively low. So you don't end up labelling lots of people, we might come back to talk about this, with a diagnosis of fatty liver where you know that in reality, certainly at least in the short term, that that diagnosis isn't going to become important to them in terms of a future liver-related event. It's not to say that it's not necessarily important, but it, this is a debate that I think we have to have in the community now about understanding what early diagnosis is and what it isn't, and about how 
trade-offs in this decision-making will become important. So I'll conclude by saying that this is a modelled approach, but the fibrosis first pathway, it takes a relatively quick and frugal approach to identifying patients who've got prognostically significant liver disease or disease that needs treating imminently. Um, and we think that it would be a good approach to test in, in trials and to really inform the debate around early diagnosis. Well, thanks. That was appropriately timed and really elegant description of a fascinating process. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded the conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with more individual interviews. We're still lining these up, but likely topics might include the impact of the Hamas invasion on the Israeli medical system and or how U.S. payers are looking at the coming MASH prescribing patterns or maybe something else. We'll announce our subjects and topics early next week. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.